take your copy of God's word, the revelation that he's given to us. We talked about all of his blessings. We sang of it this morning. Here's one in your hand, God's word. It's a revelation to us. If you're visiting with us, another warm welcome. And please look in front of you. You'll see a copy of God's word there if you don't have one in the rack in front of you. Turn to the second book in the Bible, the book of Exodus. And that is our residence. That's where we've been for a while now, these few weeks, as we are in chapter 20. A passage most famously known, of course, is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. And it sounds like many of you already have been challenged by the Ten Commandments. Uh, and I, I'm glad because I have been too. And there's so much more than something you learn in Sunday school and something that becomes rote in memory. These are the very commands that reveal who God is. It's who God is and how his people are to live. And we just simply are going to pick up this morning, Westmount, where we left off last week, last Lord's Day. And you see it there, last Lord's Day, we were in verse 13. That is the sixth commandment, and it is this, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Remember, that command, that word from God, needed definition. And we talked about that last time. Because our world has sought to redefine murder. Our world has sought to redefine murder. What did we say last week? Murder of babies is called rights. Murder of the sick is called assistance. Such is legalized widespread murder. Yet we noted murder is not just external. Christ further defined murder as very much what? What did we look at last week? An internal action, a matter of the heart. Remember, Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother, if you insult your brother, yes, if you slander your sister, you're equally liable as to murder, according to Jesus. This is murder of the heart, murder on the inside. Listen, no physical life taken, but spiritual life stricken. That's God's command, his higher transcendent eternal law. And that's what we've been learning in this portion of Exodus as we look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words. They, of course, beloved, point to more. They reveal, remember, the character of God, who He is, and life under Him. God's standard is not simply external conformity and conduct. That's not what our God is about That may be law-abiding in society today under Caesar and with governments today, but it is not, simply external compliance, is not the standard of God. And remember who God is. God, the only God, is the one who made us and the one who defines the terms. We will see... This characteristic of God's law again today with the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment. And look down at it. You see it there in verse 14. It is a commandment that traditionally has been regarded as solely an external command. A commandment that for many is relegated to just simply this. Just keeping out of marital trouble. Yet again, quite similar to last week... 
we will be, every one of us, challenged with God's definition of what this commandment says. Let's pause now and look at verse 14. It says this, You shall not commit adultery. Father, we beg for illumination of this text. We beg for hearts to understand what you're revealing to us. And we ask, Father, for application that we would go out changed in light of this eternal word. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. Here in verse 14, we have a command of God that is designed to protect marriage. Protect marriage. And marriage, like life, as we noted last week, needs protection. Is that not true? Marriage needs protection. Marriage, like life, is under attack. Marriage is being neglected. Marriage is being redefined. Marriage is suffering today as it endures fiery darts, more we could say nuclear missiles against marriage. However, the most significant threat to marriage doesn't come from the outside, it comes from the inside. It's not what is being launched from the outside at marriage, but it's what is lurking within. We have marriage participants, marriage spouses actively engaging in adultery, and believe me, that subculture is growing. We have marriage destruction being promoted, husbands, Wives, and listen, that's destruction, that's not just tolerance. We have blazed beyond just tolerance of adultery. Now we promote the very destruction of marriage. I don't even need to get into the evidence, websites, events. I was reminded even recently, even places that would profess to be godly, promoting adultery. Adultery is everywhere, beloved. Now, that really shouldn't surprise us, though. As our hearts break in this moment, it shouldn't surprise us, should it? Because lawlessness is everywhere. Godlessness is the order of the day. Is that not true? This is a godless age that we live in. We live in a society that no longer cares about what the one who made them has to say about living under him. Nobody cares anymore about what God has to say about these things. Yet, church, I pray this is true of your heart, we do. We care very much about what the divine architect has to say about his creation. We are God's people, and we seek his will for our lives And so once again, this commandment of God will be very instructive for us. Once again, our outline is very simple this morning. This message will look in so many ways in format, similar to last week. Two very simple headings. Number one, the sin of adultery. And number two, the scope of adultery. That's where we're going this morning. Like murder, the Bible has a lot to say about this topic. An immense amount, both in narrative and prescription. And no matter what has brought you to this place this morning, no matter what the reason is for you sitting in that seat, God calls your attention. And no matter what your status is this morning, hear me, whether you're married or you're single, this command of God applies to all of us, church. I trust that will become clear by the time we're done. 
So let's take time to understand what God commands of us. We begin as we have with the biblical definition, and that's our first heading, the sin of adultery. God here in verse 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. That word at the root there, look at the root of adultery. There is a word specifically used in the Old Testament. Here it is to define marital infidelity, marital unfaithfulness. But to be even more specific, if we were going to really get to the heart of this word, this word and this particular one used for immorality in marriage, it has covenant breaking in mind between two parties. Certainly here in marriage, covenant breaking. Certainly most practically, as we've said, husband and wife, but it's not limited to that, and we're going to see that later. But we note it for now. Also, grammatically, we need to take note again. Do you see the same construction? Look at the verse. Once again, like last week, that command is actually just two words in the Hebrew. You have four or five words for these verses, but in the Hebrew, there's just two words, simply a negation, do not, and the action, commit adultery. That's it. And why is that important? Because it's the same construction that we noted last week. And what is it? It's not just negation, not just don't do. In the divine word, it's permanent negation. Never, ever do. Never, ever do, God says. And permanent negation means here permanent union. Nothing breaks it. And it's a crucial opening observation because the rest of the Bible confirms that. Let's consider this truth of permanent union at its most fundamental level. Turn to Genesis 2. Turn to Genesis 2. How helpful is it often to go back to the beginning, to get the origin of everything? And marriage is no different. Of course, Genesis 1 is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 2, we get more of an extended or a drilled down account of creation of man and woman. Let's pick up the account in verse 18. He's made man, and man stands alone. And God says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, that is the Lord God, fashioning, constructing, building, creating into a woman and brought her to the man. And then note this, the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. No animal is fit for man. One made also in the image of God, woman. And then note this, here it is, this is your definition, your foundation of marriage, verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. There it is, that's marriage, one flesh, leave parents, cleave to spouse and consummate with that one flesh union, one flesh, that's what marriage is. 
Now just look at the language in verse 24. A permanent bond. Beloved, I need to say this. One flesh is not just a nice expression. It's not just a token thing we throw around for husbands and wives. We talk that way and it's good. But it's real. And I really want us to get that this morning. This is very real. There's something fused and bonded and united and real. More pointedly in God's design, husband and wife become one being for life. Do you see that? They become one being. One fused entity. Let no man tear them apart. Do you see that? That's God's design. Let nothing tear them apart. And we need to pause here for a moment. And we need to digest this truth. Because when you leave this place in a few minutes, you're going into an environment that has no concept and no construct for this. Sexuality is nothing out there. But to God, it's everything. And sexuality matters. More so, sexuality is everything because of what it represents in marriage, where it's confined to, by the way, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. Sexuality protects, binds, keeps together husband and wife. That's the design of Creator. The sexual union, the physical bond between husband and wife is not simply a physical connection. It's not just a hormonal release And please don't say it's just an act. Church, sex binds two flesh together as one, one being. Sex unites body and spirit as one. Sexual intimacy is, here's your image, sexual intimacy is the spiritual cement of two bodies together as one. Do you see that? Two bodies together as one. This is why God designed it as the bedrock of marriage. Can there be a greater fortification for the one being, one flesh union? Now, I want you to consider in light of that, I want you to think with me what happens on one level when that is violated. When one partner in a one flesh union, one being, violates this. When one partner then joins their body, fuses their body to another body outside the marriage union. In the first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul reminds that church of this. This is the New Testament. Paul says this, verse 16, Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Does that not make sense now? He who is joined with a prostitute then becomes one body. Certainly this principle is not just about prostitutes. It speaks to any other body outside the marital bond of husband and wife. When adultery is committed, that one spouse is now fused and united to another. Do you see the problem? And listen, I ask you, do you think that will have an effect on the original marriage bond? Church, the sin of adultery does violence to the one flesh union. Permanent, lasting damage. As such, there's no greater threat to marriage than adultery. The seriousness and gravity of adultery has always been understood. Do you remember the account in Genesis 20? Abraham lied about Sarah. The king of Gerar, Abimelech, takes him in and wants to take Sarah as his wife. And what does he say toward the end of that account? I believe it's in verse 9. He says this, how could you do this great sin against me in the kingdom? 
this great sin of Bimelech says. This is no chance sin, not there's anything, or choice sin. This is the sin of adultery. Genesis 39, do you remember Joseph with Potiphar's wife? Potiphar's wife making the advances to him. And what does Joseph say as he's fleeing, as he's trying to get out of the grasp of Potiphar's wife? He says, how can you do this great wickedness? In other words, and you read the account, you're Potiphar's. You're his. That's your bond, not me. Proverbs 5.23, adultery is called the great folly. It says it's the sin leading to death. Jeremiah 29.23, adultery is called by God himself, most bluntly, an outrageous thing. Of course, the seriousness of adultery is not just an ancient Old Testament thing. Note this, note this, Hebrews 13.4. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. By the way, God can't be clear about what's in view. Let not marriage be undefiled. What did God say? Let not the marriage bed be undefiled. Indeed, as he says, God will judge the adulteress. That's because adultery breaks his standard. That's an important reminder for us, and we need it now. The standard of marriage is not mine or yours. This is not some clever thing that helps customs and civilizations go really well. This is not a thing that Caesar invented because a really good society is good when you have marriage. No, Marriage is what it is with the standard because that's the way that God defines it. And again, I I hearken back to the fact that God created us and he knows what's best for us. The standard of marriage is God's. He created man and woman. He created marriage. He defines the terms. But like all of God's standards for his creation, we humanity don't like it and so many of us, if not most, rebel against the commands of God. And so you have nations from the very beginning living their own way. You can turn there if you want to, Leviticus 18, or you can note it. I just want to read the opening of this chapter in the law that speaks of all manner of sexual immorality. But I want you to hear the way that Yahweh introduces this chapter of the law. In some ways, it's a laundry list of all the ways you can commit sexual immorality. But listen to how God introduces it to Israel. He says this, Leviticus 18, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you lived. So that's looking back. Then he says, You shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I'm bringing you to. You shall not walk in their statutes. Don't walk where you were. Don't walk where you are. You shall instead follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So helpful here as we see God define the fact that there is a standard of sexual living that is very much ungodly and it's very much of Egypt and Canaan. And here we see adultery, God defines as the custom of the world. Adultery is commonplace and tolerated in Egypt and Canaan and today. Yet that system is against God. In people, 
that are against God. Adultery is tolerated, and as we've said, it's even promoted. But this shouldn't be for God's people. Remember, we are a light to the nations. Marital faithfulness should be, beloved, should be the mark of God's people. The world should say, look at Christianity and say, what is with God's people? They honor their unions and they stay together. What's with those people? It should be that way, but sadly it isn't. I hardly need to reference the fact that infidelity rates now in the world and in the church are the same. Why? Why is this? Why is marital fidelity such a problem for God's people? Well, here's one reason. Maybe the reason. We have a greater faithfulness problem. And it's fidelity to Yahweh himself. It's nothing new. Consider God's people of old, ancient Israel, as we've studied. God's people chosen and delivered from bondage and oppression to Yahweh, or by Yahweh, liberated to live as God's people, a holy nation set apart and fully devoted to him. That's what we saw, of course, in the last chapter, chapter 19 of Exodus. Covenanting to him, remember, on Mount Sinai. Yes, we will. Fearing him, yet in just a few chapters, and we've already sneak peeked at this already, chapter 32, what are they going to do with a certain golden calf? Commit adultery. They will break the bonds with Yahweh and they will worship a statue. In fact, marriage is the picture of the relationship of God and his people in the Bible. And no surprise, adultery comes up frequently in the Bible, a picture of unfaithful people. Yes, the adultery at the hands of God's people will persist as you turn through the Old Testament in cycles in the book of Judges, by leaders in the book of Kings. You see it as an object lesson. Think of the prophet Hosea. Many of you are very aware of the type of wife he's called to take. In the Old Testament, you hear it again and again. And let me just read you one account in Ezekiel chapter 16. I just want you to listen to this. This again is the picture you see woven in time and time again. Listen very carefully to this account. As God talks about the relationship between himself and his people. He says, I made my vow to you and I entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. There's your marriage picture. Bride, bridegroom, we are covenanted. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. What a picture. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Such love for the bride. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. By the way, that's what a healthy marriage does. It flourishes people. That's what a healthy marriage does. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. Do you see that picture? This is God and his people. God was faithful to do that. God was faithful to care for them. God was faithful to honor his covenant. But then this, verse 15. But you trusted in your beauty and were unfaithful. 
Because of your renown and lavished your unfaithfulness on any passerby, your beauty became his. You took some of your garments and made for yourself colorful shrines, and on them you were unfaithful. The like has never been nor ever will be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself images of men, and with them you were unfaithful. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them and set my oil and my incense before them. Also my bread that I gave you, I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey. You set before them for a pleasing aroma. And so it was, declares the Lord God. And you took your sons and your daughters whom you had borne to me in marriage. And these you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Was your unfaithfulness so small a matter? And in all your abominations and your unfaithfulness, you did not remember the days of your youth. In other words, they took everything that was the blessings of that covenanted union and became defiled because they sought another. God, perhaps as we at least just mention a couple more of the pieces here, how sick is your heart, declares the Lord God, because you did all these things. The deeds of a brazen prostitute, building your vaulted chamber at the head of every street and making your lofty place in every square. Yet you were not like a prostitute because you scorned payment. What an indictment. Adulterous wife who receives strangers instead of her husband. This is the picture. And God is right to say these things. God is right to cast this picture. Because that is precisely, beloved, what Israel did. As we've been reminded already this morning, and we know in the recesses of our own souls, so to us. So to us. How can Israel or any of God's people be faithful to spouse then if they're not faithful to Yahweh first? Beloved, that's Israel, but again, it's no different in the church today, no different with us. In fact, the church today is also referred to in Scripture as who? The bride of Christ. God's people today continue to have a fidelity problem to their bridegroom. Is that not true? God's people today forget who they're married to. They forget their head. They forget the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. God's people today are Christ's bride. And one wonders, one wonders, what of fidelity to Christ? Can you look at the church today and say, yes, they are faithful? I want you to think even of the past two years. Can you look at the church and say, yes, they're faithful to their bridegroom. They will not abandon their bridegroom. Can you look at the church today and say, yes, there is a picture of faithfulness. Adultery is the breaking of the covenant bond between bride and bridegroom. And that's the sin of adultery. At its heart, unfaithfulness to Yahweh First and foremost. Now, similar to last week, it's not the end of the story on adultery. That is certainly adultery defined. And I think even in our day and age, as bad as it is, we understand these things. However, with the advent of Christ comes his revelation of the full heart of the law. And just like we did last week, we do so again. However, unlike last week, I will tell you to turn to the right reference. Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Turn there, and our second point, the scope of adultery. Scope of adultery. And again, we begin with a reminder from Christ. Christ has come. God's come down. The Word made flesh. And here, he is clarifying for his disciples 
the heart of the law. So helpful. Remember verse 20, just by way of refresher. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Jesus is saying obedience to God's law is not just external conformity. That was his point. The Pharisees have that thing down, external conformity. But Jesus is saying that's not what the law is about. As we saw, murder was more than taking another's life. Murder was more than physical. And it should not surprise us that the higher standard that was true of murder is also true of adultery as well. Look at verse 27, and we're just going to continue reading from where we picked up last week with this account. Jesus continues, verse 27, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, remember, Jesus is broadening their understanding of the law of God here, and you can just imagine how that would be received, right? Wait, there's no physical action there? And you're saying, Jesus, they've committed adultery? Well, Jesus is not saying that what they see written in the Old Testament is not true. He's not uh, whitewashing or getting rid of physical adultery. No, instead, what he's doing, remember, he's correcting what they heard the Old Testament, what they heard in the law, saying. And here he's providing them with the right interpretation of God's standard and God's law. So crucial. And he's doing it in light of the coming and the revelation of himself. You've heard it said, but I, the one that fulfills the law, that will be fulfilling the law, that does that, this is what I say to you. According to Christ, look at it, lust is adultery. That means adultery of the heart. Once again, we see from the clarification of Jesus that adultery can be eternal. According to Christ, and just look at it, a spouse does not need to perform a physical act in order to commit adultery. That's what Jesus is saying. Similar to murder, this violation can be done on the inside. Now, in light of that, we need to be clear on what Jesus is saying here. So many get tripped up. So many get overwhelmed at the words of Jesus. So we just need to be clear for a moment. First of all, I want you to look at that word lust. That is from the Greek root word, epithumeo. And that word means desire, especially thumeo, desire, natural impulse, deep-seated passion. It can be used positively in the New Testament, often negatively, to speak of really carnal passion. And on this word is an intensifier. It has the epi. And what it's doing is it's intensifying that desire. Do you see what's going on here? It's an intense desire. And along with that word, I want you to look at verse 28. Jesus is speaking to intent, lustful intent. So the adultery in view here is the look that is intentional, fleshly, and lingered. This is, let me be clear. This is not ordinary interactions with a lady or ladies with men. That's not, what we're, that's not what Jesus is talking about here, and this will become clear. That has nothing to do with it. This is lust. This is intentional looking. What Jesus is saying here is that the look, here it is, the look reveals what's going on in the heart. And I think we grab that, right? The look reveals what's going on in the heart. The look is doing what the flesh wants to do. The look is committing adultery. There it is. 
unless we fail to understand the crucial connection between heart and hands. Because some sadly would say, well, Jesus is just talking about the inside. I ask any spouse in this room if they would feel the security of one flesh union if their spouse never physically was with another man or woman. So let's understand this. Will they feel secure? They're never physically with another man or woman. In fact, they're physically pure. If we wanted to just have the, the bubble go further, just right there all the time, they know they've never committed a physical act. I mean, they have that down. They're never physically with another person, period. Yet, they looked with lustful intent on another man or another woman. And to be clear, this most certainly includes pornography. Most certainly includes those lustful glances to ladies that are more than just something coming across your vision. It most certainly includes that. Every single second look is lustful intent. Every time. The world would say, what would the world say? Ease off the man or ease off the lady. What do they say? They're not hurting anyone. Come on. They're not out doing what real criminals do. But the spouse who's holding the hand maybe of the one looking, the spouse who's off doing something while the one is looking all alone, the spouse says they're not hurting anyone, but they're destroying us. Beloved, this teaching from Jesus, the scope of adultery needs no defense. This scope of adultery, adultery from the heart, is understood by all spouses here. I don't think there's a spouse in this room that would be like, I don't get what Jesus is saying here. In fact, we know very well, sadly. Now, of course, not all of us are spouses, right? However, we need to understand that the scope of adultery goes beyond marriage. It's true. For those Christians not married, it's not as if you cannot commit adultery. In Christian single, I ask, who are you married to? Who are you married to right now? 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 35 tells you that your undivided devotion is to who? The Lord. Christ is still your bridegroom and your deep heart's desire must be for him. Lustful looks are just as much a matter of adultery for you. As you know, sexual relations, which we now know includes looks, is strictly limited for those that have left father, left mother, and cleave to another. That's the design for marriage, for sexuality. And in fact, that's the order defined in Genesis 2.24, only in marriage. If I could put this in neon lights and, and, and big bold letters for our culture today, only in marriage defined by architect is sex permitted by God. But more than that, adultery for you, if you're single, is ultimately like it is for all of us. And here, Westmount, we take note and are reminded that adultery is first and foremost unfaithfulness to God. Remember Psalm 51, David's words after his adultery? Remember? I mean, if you could, this sounds crass, but pull Uriah up from the grave, say, he committed adultery against me, or Bathsheba would have a protest. But no, David says this, Psalm 51, 4, against you and you only, God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's what David says. In the wake of all the carnage with Bathsheba and Uriah, God just goes right to where the sin really is against God. 
Adultery is breaking the covenant with God first before it is broken with anyone else. And hearing that, the massive reach of adultery for all of us, the height of offense, maybe you're thinking of your struggles, your marriage, and your falls, and you're quite simply right now feeling very hopeless. You struggle with this and you're just feeling beat down. You're feeling very hopeless right now. And listen, that is precisely where we would all be if this was it. I can't imagine walking off this platform not getting to what the rest of God's word would say. We would be very hopeless individuals if it wasn't for Christ. Is that not true? Praise God. I mean, what hope would there be for marriage if any of us left it there? And you know what? Exhibit A is out there. There is no hope for marriage outside of Christ. There's none. Oh, they may get on and tarry for a bit and and do well, but at the very core, they're not okay. The desperately wicked heart, Jeremiah 17, 9, of all mankind would win the day as it normally does eventually. And you know what? Our wicked hearts so often do win the day, even inside the church. But beloved, it does not have to be that way because God has made a way for all of us. And I just want us to rejoice today in this. That's the hope for all of us. Every single one of us. We cannot do the marriage thing. We cannot do the fidelity to Yahweh thing without Christ. There's hope. So let me leave you with this. First, let me address those that are inside the church. Those looking to protect marriage. You're a believer. You've been a believer for a while. You have a marriage. looking to protect it. You're looking to protect your marriage from adulterous actions. Yes, but even more so, you're looking to protect your marriage from an adulterous heart. Brothers and sisters, if you're struggling with looks, if you're struggling with lust, if you're struggling with temptation here, I want you to keep reading. You still open to Matthew 5? I want you to keep reading. Look at verse 29. We keep reading. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. That's from Jesus. After he gives the diagnosis of an adulterous heart, he says, well, here's the prescription. If this is you, here's the prescription. This is about as straightforward a teaching from Jesus on avoiding sin. And by the way, in direct context to what? Marriage and adultery. If you're struggling with lust and temptation... If you're struggling with looks, right here, here it is. Of course, now let's be clear, Jesus is not saying to actually cut off body parts. That's not what he's saying, is it? That's not what he's talking about. But what Jesus is saying is what? Cut off. I know you understand what I'm talking about. Cut off. In other words, whatever it is, if it's causing you to sin, cut it off. If that technology, that computer, that phone, that app is causing you to sin, beloved, cut it off. If that environment, that place, that location is causing you to sin, don't make a defense for it. Don't esteem your Christian liberty. Don't look for ways to get there. Cut it off. Cut it off. It's causing you to sin. If that entertainment, that TV show, that romance novel is causing you to think of things about your spouse and what your spouse isn't, If all of these shows that you watch are causing and arousing those deep-seated passions in you, causing you to sin, cut it off. Cut it off. 
You don't need those things. If that relationship, here it is, that certain individual is causing you to sin, beloved, for the sake of your union, cut it off. Cut it off. Are you going to hold up liberty at the expense of your marriage? Are you going to hold on to things like, well, I'm free to do this while your marriage is crumbling away? No, you would never do that. Cut it off. And no, church, church, I, I know what you're feeling right now. You're like, that's radical. Let me ask you something. If I was to cut off my arm and gouge out my eye, would that be radical? And let me ask you something. Is that what Jesus is saying? We get radical. We absolutely get radical. The illustration is losing a body part. So let's not say, beloved, let's not get overboard. Beloved, this is not legalism. What is this? This is the pursuit of holiness. It's not legalism. It's pursuing holiness. And let me give you one more verse. Hebrews 12.4, note it. Hebrews 12.4, this is the exhortation from the author to this group. Taking the letter, he says this, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. In your struggle against sin, you've not resisted to the point of shedding blood. Let me ask you, in your struggle against sin, have you resisted to the point of shedding blood? Have you cut it off? There's that imagery again, right? It's so extreme, isn't it? But if we could say, based on God's word, it is so holy. Maybe I leave you with this. Ask any spouse in this room, particularly ones with a scar in marriage, if they take radical amputation for a fully devoted spouse, we know what the answer is, don't we? Every single time. Listen, Westmount, no book, no app. No show, no movie, no relationship, nothing outside marriage at all is so cherished as not to cut it off for the sake of marital fidelity and preservation of the one flesh, one being union. Christian spouse, you cut off anything that causes you to sin so that you do not cut off the one flesh bond you have with your husband or wife. To those married, listen, protecting your marriage is an active endeavor. I'm, I'm out of time, but man, I cannot exhort you all enough. You need to protect your marriage, and it's an active thing. Protecting marriage is not a passive endeavor. You don't just sit back and, and think, she knows that I love her. You have to fight to protect your union. You have to be proactive, and you have to be on guard, because listen to me, there's an enemy that hates a happy, healthy union, and you know who he is. He hates it, and he loves nothing more than passivity in marriage. Sitting back is not an option in our evil age. Satan hates happiness and healthiness. Adultery is always a product, listen, of tolerances over time. Always, never a moment. And Christian, if you sin, remember, remember what we ended with last time. You have divine help and assurance. Can we rejoice? You repent, confess your sin, bring it into the light. You receive the grace and mercy of God. Isn't it amazing that we can be forgiven? Isn't that a joy? You can receive mercy no matter what you've done. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. And then you reconcile. Oh, the joy of reconciliation. Spouses, you know what I'm talking about. The joy of reconciling because of grace. And then you rejoice that you can. And you walk in his righteousness, not your failings, his righteousness. And you 
give him all the glory in that. What a hope for marriage. Without biblical protection and divine mercy, married brothers and sisters, where would our precious marital unions be? Why was it so glorious to sing, great is thy faithfulness? Because he'll cheat on you? Never. He will never, ever, ever betray you. Is that something to walk out with? He will be faithful to you, and that is your hope. But there's something more. I must leave with this. The reality of adultery commands the attentions of those that are outside the church. I don't know if this is you this morning. Those that have not bowed the knee here to Jesus Christ. Why? Well, if that's you, and Christ is not your Lord, you are not even married yet. And so adultery is not your most pressing concern. You say, wait a minute, that's a strange way to end that message. Sure, maybe some of you here have earthly spouses. Maybe you don't yet. That's not the point. The reality is you have right now no bridegroom to save you from what is coming. You have nothing to save you. And beloved, listen to me, certainly not your own righteousness and your own works. You don't place those on a scale. That's not the way that it works. No one right now is saving you from what's coming. And this is what's coming. The Word of God says this over and over again. We sang about it this morning. The wrath of God. It's coming. In fact, right now, you're very much single when it comes to the wrath of God. You're single. And you will bear the wrath yourself. And friend, you don't want that because the Bible says it's not just bearing the weight and the wrath of God for a moment. The Bible says it's bearing the wrath of God eternally. That's eternal destruction and separation from God. Instead, in light of that heaviness, you can be wed to the one that made you and be right with the one that created you. The only true bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Here's the joy. He bore that wrath for his bride. You talk about a bridegroom. He bore the wrath for his bride. He bore the wrath. That's what we all deserve for our sins. Nothing can make it up in our own efforts. He bore the the wrath for adultery and all. Christ bore that wrath for those that are his. And listen, Christ bore the wrath for those that would turn from their adultery and sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ alone. And for those, those that have turned from their adultery and sin, and embrace faith in Christ. They are snatched from the coming wrath. Revelation talks about that. Levi reminded us of that. Right? A few weeks ago. We're not destined for wrath. We're saved from wrath. But then this. After the wrath is poured out in the earth. There's a reception. You know it in Revelation 19. Don't you? Revelation 19.6 says this. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Like the roar of many waters. And the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Crying out Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. How was that? How are we ready, church? It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That's from him. And then this in verse 9. And the angel said to me, this is to the Apostle John receiving this. Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And he said to me, these are the true words of God. That marriage invitation, friend, is still open while there is still time. There is no other way to this heavenly reception. There's no other way. Only Christ. Only Jesus. It's the only way. And we ask as we close, will we, will you turn to him, the bridegroom, the only one, and walk in his righteousness? Father, we thank you that we can, that you sent your son to bear the wrath due to us, to send your son to stand in our place so that we do not bear what we deserve. We rejoice. Thank you for your fidelity to us. Thank you that you are faithful to us. Oh God, help us as we look to walk faithfully to you. Dear God, help us, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.